Sidwalk Stand, based upon uh, using the contours of a book by Watchman Nee uh, many years ago, um, by that title that basically gives us a quick survey, an overview of the major themes of the book of Ephesians, and that's what we've been doing. Um, today's the last one, Sidwalk. What comes after walk? Stand. stand. And so today we're talking about stand, and our text, primary text today is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And so let me just go forward here, and let's read a little, a little of, of the text, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. And this is what the apostle Paul writes, and notice that he, that he begins with this word, finally, because he's talked, he's given us three major chunks in Ephesians, and, and, and in, in the apostolic manner, as, as in the epistolary form, he has begun with, um, uh, with what you, who you are and what God has done for you before he's told you what to do, but now he's going to take that application further to the realm of spiritual conflict and, and, and our conflict with the powers of darkness. And so he says this, he says, finally, be strengthened in the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, notice that word stand, against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having uh, prepared everything to take your stand. Turn to somebody next to you and say, take your stand. Because he says, finally, after all that he's written, about the first five chapters of Ephesians, he gets to the end here. He says, finally, let me give you the last word. Let me give you, let's break this all down to what you have to do and what you're working with and the challenge that you're going to face with regard to your life going forward in Christ. There's some very real challenges that you will face, he's telling them, and this is what you have to do in order to do that. Realizing now that you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, right? You spiritually have been, by the power of God, just as that power of God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, you positionally are seated there as well. And so from that, that position of strength, you live your life not based upon your own strength, but based upon the strength of God. And therefore, what happens is as you walk, peripateo, the Greek word that talks basically walking as you, as you go on walkabout, right? As you move through your life, as you conduct yourself, as you deal with relationships, husband and wife relationships, parent and child relationships, uh, employer-employee relationships, all relationships. As you go through life, what happens is you're drawing on that power that comes from you being seated in heavenly places. It's not your strength. And the moment you think it's your strength, you've missed the whole point. And so you sit. And we said last week it's kind of like driving a car. Some of you got some real comfortable cars. Some of you got some real uncomfortable cars. Some of you don't have cars. <laughs> some of you don't want cars. Yeah, somebody, I heard a hearty amen over there. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been in some uncomfortable cars, you know. But basically, you sit in, in your, the plush comfort of your sedan, right? And, you, and, and, and it's funny, you're, you're going to go from here to Van Nuys, and you've got to go through the Sepulveda Pass. You've got to go over those hills. But you know what? You're not going to be like, you're going to be smooth, you're gonna be smooth, with, smooth with, your, with your music, because they're not all smooth and everything. And you're going to pull out, and you're going to be good. And you know when you start pulling up, the four or five start, start gaining on the hills? It's not like you're going to start gritting your teeth. Oh, man. Oh. Now, I've had cars to where they were straining so hard that it made me strain. Oh, man. I remember one car trying to get over that, that hill that goes like down to 101 going, to like, uh, going into the Conejo, the Rabbit Valley. And I remember that one hill. I remember I had this car. like, are we going to make this, you know? And it's like, oh, man. But no, you don't do that. You sit back and, you know, you're going through the hills, and you, you just, you're still cool. 
because the engine is doing the work. The car is doing the work. It's fueled by gasoline or diesel or whatever, you, or, or electricity if you're a hybrid or whatever. But you're not straining because something else is, is carrying you along while you rest. And that's a picture of how it is in Christ. We, we get things done and we accomplish things and we move, we live, move, and have our being, but it's not in our own strength. So Paul says, you've been there. You understand that. Now you've got to realize that there, there's a mandate on you. You realize it's nothing in your own strength, but the final command is that to stand. This is important because the way we think of so-called spiritual warfare, if you want to use that term, the way we think about spiritual conflict, we're going to learn some things today that, that, that kind of put it in a different place than sometimes we think of it. It addresses, uh, but what we're talking about and what Paul is dealing with is, is the inescapable reality of spiritual conflict, the reality that we face an enemy. You, you know you have an enemy, right? And it ain't me, even if you don't like me. And it ain't your spouse. And it ain't your kids, or kids and it ain't your parents. And you know what? As bad as your, your supervisor may be tomorrow when you go to work, it, that's not your enemy. We have an enemy. There's this dark web of evil beings described as rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Uh, not in heaven per se, but in the invisible spiritual reality that exists beyond our comprehension. And all of this is presided over by Satan. Call him the devil. You call him Slewfoot. I don't know where they got that. We call him, and he's the fallen angel, angel in the Old Testament. He's described as Lucifer. And there's this cosmic battle that, between God and the powers of darkness, and God has claimed all of creation as his own. Satan struggles and, 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 and tries to displace God wherever he can, including in your life. God is claiming all of the earth as his dominion. Satan seeks at every turn to usurp God's authority over this planet and even over our lives. But a biblical and a Christian worldview will embrace the reality of, of spiritual conflict. It embraces the reality that there, are, that there are demonic forces, there are evil forces that work against the work and the plan and the program and the purpose of God. There are two extremes and two alternatives that we see among Christians, though. Number one, and I've seen this a lot, some Christians can become overly focused on Satan preoccupied with demons, looking for demons under every rock, attributing every ill will to Satan. And there's a disposition in this that sometimes really does border on what we would call superstition because we feel that we can't move forward in Christ without placating or dealing with or addressing evil powers all the time at the same time as though they have equal power with God. In fact, some of our teachers in Christian media actually put God put Jesus on a similar plane as, as, the, as the devil. You may not recognize that because you don't understand in the rhetoric, but, but, but that's a real thing. And so that becomes a, 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 an issue where, you know, when you think, you know, you think that the devil has more power than he really has. When, you're, when you think you have more power than you have because you're trying to bind every demon, you've been around folks like that. You're binding Satan, and sometimes it gets silly. You know, I've been in a situation where every time there'd, get, there'd be a little feedback on the sound, I'd say, oh, Satan, we bind you. Don't bind the, the devil. Tell the sound man to, to pull back the gain on the channel. 2%. We, we work with this artist, and, and, and he's doing sound check. He always says, can you bring it down? He always says 2%. It's like the sound guys don't deal in percent. They deal in DBs. Like, so they're like, okay, let's see, you know. But, but do you know what I'm talking about? And then we start attributing st st mistakes we make in our lives. We attribute those to the devil. 
I was, when I was young, I, heard, I used to know people that were running out of gas, and it would be, you know, Satan, the Lord rebuke it. The Lord, the devil, don't, don't get, put some gas in your car. That's one, that's, that's, that's one, you know. But the second, here's the second alternative, the second option, is that we can live and behave as though evil, and by the way, those, in, in, those embroiled in New Thought, embroiled, those in, in the New Thought movement, big percentage of that thing, a lot of the, the thought there is that evil is not real. Uh, I'll tell you what, when I, when I read the newspaper, when I look down, up and down these streets, I see evil. If it ain't real, it's a pretty scary illusion. It's like virtual reality evil. But, you know, it, as though it doesn't exist and as though spiritual conflict is not real or nice Christians don't have to deal with that as long as we just be really nice and, and genteel. It's kind of cosmic, can we all get along? And the devil says, No. <laughs> that's, he said, getting along is not my thing. Getting along is, that's, that's, that's not my, my forte. I'm not here, to, he said, I'm not here to get along, I'm here to get over. You know, we, we can suppose, if not consciously, at least uh, some level in our being, at least at some level in our being, that the devil doesn't really exist, or if he does, it's really no big deal. Uh, and just like many folks claim to be Christians, but uh, if, you, if, if you look at yourself closely, you might find that you are a functional atheist because you claim you believe in God, but you live and behave and act as though God doesn't exist. Yeah. And then there's some people that say they believe in evil powers and believe in Satan, and they, but they behave as though they don't exist, and he doesn't exist. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we have a problem. C.S. Lewis uh, put it like, I think, no, next quote. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. I like the way, that's so British, about the devils. Uh, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and, have, and, and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And then he also wrote this. He said, you can give the devil too much or too little attention. And I believe that's right. Now remember, as we, we stated earlier in this series, Paul is concerned with giving the Ephesians, with equipping them for his departure and giving them everything they need, giving them the whole counsel of God, giving them everything they need to really live the Christian life and to go forward as a congregation and succeed in the things of God. His intent is to equip them with everything they need to function as a church to, and to have an effective witness in the world. And so he reminds them, as we said, of who they are, that they're seated in, with Christ. He, he reminds them how they live, that they are to walk, you know, according to their new nature, not according to their old nature, not live, walk, live according to the futility of their minds. And now he reminds them finally, and, and, the, and the, it's like the last thing you tell somebody when you're leaving, sometimes it's, it's the most important thing because you want it to make an impact and you want them to remember it. And so finally he reminds them of the nature of their struggle, the war behind, the persecution and the tribulation that they're experiencing because they're going through stuff. And the hand of Satan is against them. And he wants to, to give them what they need to, to deal with that, to accept that, to, to be conscious of it, to be aware of it, to not be overcome by it, to not be preoccupied with it, but to, to put it in its proper place and to deal with all that they're, they're, they're faced with. All of the stuff that they're experiencing in their era through geopolitical conflict. You talk about turmoil politically and, that, and, and globally in, 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 in that part of the world in that time, in the first century, same thing, a lot of global and political upheaval, a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of crazy things going on, and they need to be fortified and informed so that they can deal with what they're, all the turmoil that they're witnessing in their midst and in the world around them. 
And so he says, our struggle. We are engaged in a struggle, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we accept it or not. You, it's not your choice. I don't want, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. Well, you better love Jesus and better get ready to fight. But as we talk about the fight today, it's a different fight than a lot of folks think. It's not what you might suppose, because sometimes we superimpose other templates of, 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 of conflict into this, and we'll talk about that. But we're engaged in a struggle. First of all, he makes it clear, it's not against flesh and blood, right? It's not a physical thing. It's not interpersonal. Uh, people are not our enemies, as I said a moment ago. Our opponents are spiritual beings that work in and among people and behind the scenes and overtly often in the realm of human affairs. When the world looks crazy to you and when things seem out of control, know who's behind the craziness and the chaos, right? Know who's the author of chaos, who's the author of confusion, who's the author of disarray, the, uh, the author of disarray, who's the author of, uh, of hatred and, 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 and bitterness and, and all that stuff. Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to put on, and he didn't say go buy or find or create or build or make or fashion. He says, put on the whole armor that God has given you, the whole armor of God. And notice in, in, the whole, in, in this thing, and I'll talk about it, we'll read it in just a second. You'll notice as we read these that these implements of our armor, and I'm not going to go into the detailed breakdown of all the, 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 the Roman uh, uh, parallels to, to, to armor in that day, because for the sake of this discussion, what's more important is getting the, the overall picture of what this means. And you'll notice that all the implements of the armor are all, they all are related to basic values of our faith. They're related to things that we have to our salvation, to our righteousness, that kind of thing, to the word of God. The implements of our spiritual armor are related to what God has given us in Christ. They're not something adjunct to or special or, or supplemental to. They are, they are directly connected with the things that we received because we've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You get, you get that? You guys are real quiet on me this morning. That's all right. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, now, let's, let, let's take, take a look at this. He says, stand, therefore. And I like the double, the double thing. He says, uh, you know, basically stand and then, then stand. He says it twice. Therefore, and look at this. Truth are like a belt around your waist. That you, didn't, you don't have to go out and find that somewhere. That's not something that every, that's something that every Christian has, right? The truth will set you free. Thank God for the truth. He goes into righteousness like armor on your chest, right? And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. You've got the gospel of peace. It changed your life, and you carry it everywhere you go, and you, and you spread it. In every situation, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You've been saved by grace, by faith, by grace through faith. Faith is, is a part of your salvation. It's, it, it's a fundamental value of the Christian walk of the Christian life and relating to God. Without faith, Hebrews says, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, you have to, if you're going to approach God, you've got to believe that he is, and then he rewards those who diligently seek him. He says, uh, uh, you, and then take the helmet of salvation. Well, you know, if I say, how many are all saved? Well, you, guess what? You have salvation. So you take up the, uh, the, the armor and the protection that's associated with that value. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The armor is comprised of stuff we already have as being seated in heavenly places. And our putting it on symbolizes what we call appropriating it, realizing it's yours, and, and, and utilizing it and making full use of, 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 of what it is and what it can do for you. It's not something apart from your faith. It's not something that has to do with specialty Christians who have deliverance ministries. There's a place for some of that, I guess. But this is talking to every believer. 
It's for every Christian. The gifts that you've been given in Christ, your disposition and your position in God, all of these translate into your spiritual armor, and you're not called to do a whole lot of stuff. Just to put on what you've been given because you're not fighting in your own strength. Now, think in terms for a moment, oh, think in, uh, for a moment in terms of offensive and defensive. In this list before us, what is the, uh, what is the primary category, offensive or defensive? defensive? Uh, one person. Do I have any takers on this side? No, I'm not going to say that so you can. <laughs> what do you think? Is that a consensus among us all? If you said defensive, you're right. 90% of this, at least, is defensive. Now, that, there's a reason why, and I'm going somewhere with that. Now, <laughs> particularly us good old Americans with all of our violence and aggression. We want to focus on the offensive. We get down to see it, but the sword of spirit, that's the one, that's the one offensive one. That's why you can take it and stab them and jab them. <laughs> but probably in context, since all of those are, 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 are defensive, and since we're told to stand, probably that one, you know, is defensive as well. Right? And there's an important reason why our armor is defensive. Why we're not told to march, we're told to stand. We're not told to charge, we're told to stand. We're not called to storm the powers of darkness, we're called to stand. There's a very important reason why the bulk of our spiritual armor that God has issued us is, is, is defensive in nature. Why? And this is the reason why. Because we don't need to take ground as Christians. We are called upon to keep what Christ has given to us. We've already been given everything we need. We've already been given the kingdom. We've already been, our feet have already been planted on solid ground. You're not fighting for something you've not yet attained. You're not, you're fighting to maintain and to, to maximize what you already have been given. You're seated. You're walking. You're saved by grace through faith. All things are yours, Paul told the Corinthians. Peter tells us God has given us everything we need, we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of God. Watchman Nee put it like this, and I think this says it so well. The next one, please. He says, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Amen. Some of y'all still hoping you're going to win. You already won. That's what we're going to celebrate two weeks from, from now when we get up early in the morning. How early was it? It was like before day in the morning. When we get up early in the morning, we're celebrating the fact that God already conquered the power on the cross. See, the... the the, the paradox of it is that on the cross, Jesus destroyed the work of the enemy. Jesus vanquished his foes, dying on that cross, and then he rose from the grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He's already won the victory, and so we fight from that place of being victorious. People, don't, don't tell them, I'm trying to get the victory. You've got the victory. What you're called upon to do is to keep the victory and to walk in the victory and to maintain the victory, to maintain your peace, to maintain your joy, to stay in your place. You remember the quote from... The first installment, he says, Christ and, uh, again, watch my knee quote. He says, Christianity doesn't begin with a big do, but a big done. Well, remember that, because I think that's a, a good way of encapsulating the idea of, of grace through faith. But also remember this, and when you think about it, this is just, you just try to get, keep this in your, in your head. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. There's a big difference, isn't there? 
Well, you're talking about, talking about having an advantage, talking about being, getting over, talking about being blessed, right? Aren't you glad we're not fighting to, to win as though, we, as though we might lose? But we're fighting to maintain what we have, and we don't have to give it up because it's been given us by God. The victory has been won for us. Again, the whole idea is getting over this thing. i got to make this all up and do it. And it. See, because we'd like to put on the whole armor of God. We want to go out and, and do our own little spiritual crusade, and we got our, the Word of God is our little dagger, and we're going to go, and we're going to advance the kingdom. We're going to march into Satan's backyard and, 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 and turn things out, you know. And, uh, and it's like that's, you know, no. That's, that's, not, that's not what spiritual warfare is, and that's not what we're called to do. We're, we're called to stand. You've already got the victory. Do you know that? You just need to remind her. Somebody next to you, just tell her. Remind her. So you, you, you've already got the victory. As a matter of fact, Romans 8.37. Romans 8.37 says this. Romans 8.37. Paul says, he says, in all these things we are more, huh, than conquerors through him who loves us. We've already got the victory. So you see, Satan's primary object is not basically to get you to sin, but to make it easier for you to do so, and it gets you off the ground of this triumph that God has brought you into. It's to compromise you, to get you confused, to get you off game, to get you off task, to get you off track. And so, spiritual warfare, I should write a book, Spiritual Conflict for Dummies. That one might be complicated, it might be copyrighted, so I could try spiritual warfare for idiots. I think that's comp copyrighted too. So spiritual warfare for imbeciles. Or how about spiritual warfare for regular folks like you and me who don't know that, think that they're called to deliverance ministry, who, who, are, who are sometimes intimidated by this stuff, but you realize I do have to, I have to deal with the powers of you. I have to deal with Satan. You have to grow up. It's like, a, a, you know, when you're a child, there's stuff. When I was a kid, I didn't have to, like, pay, pay bills. Some of y'all did, but uh, <laughs> some of y'all, you know, I know families where, you know, after you get the gas and the lights turned off, then you put the, you, you, the, the, the electricity on in your kid's name. That her dude said, by the time I was 14 years old, I had A1 credit. <laughs> but it's like, you know, the bottom line is we, we, don't have to, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We are called upon to stand in the victory that is already ours. That's spiritual. That's how we do spiritual warfare. And so, again, note the defensive nature. Let me just, now let me just read the rest of the passage, and then we can, we can tie this together. He says this. Now, this is what you do. He says in, ver in verse 8, he says, Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the, all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth and make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So what does it mean to stand? It means to extend out from what Paul writes in the, in the other verses to the basic Christian disciplines of praying for one another, of Paul saying, you know, I just want to keep on saying what I'm saying. I want to keep on doing what I'm doing. Pray for me that I can be bold in the midst of the tribulation so that I, that I can stand when the winds of adversity are blowing. It's not that deep, but it goes back to basic Christianity. Notice it's the defensive nature of, of our armor. And so pray for me that God's defenses would be fully implemented in my life. Realize that you're seated. Realize that you walk in the Spirit Re and fully appropriate all that is yours. He, see, he, he doesn't say, notice that Paul doesn't say, at the end of his letter, he says, fight for me. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Pray for me. 
He doesn't say, crusade for me. Wage war for me. He says, pray for me. Because if, you, if, if they pray for him, he knows the hand of God will move and that God will protect him and God will use him and God will keep him moving forward. One of the most important principles of the New Testament is that spiritual warfare is not a, a thing. But it encompasses the idea of us standing and fighting the good fight, as it were, simply and most poignantly and most powerfully by doing what Jesus told us to do. If you want to win in your fight against evil, if you want to defeat the powers of darkness in your life, if you want to, if you want to stand your ground and defeat Satan as he, as in, in, in any way that he attacks you, you start by simply doing the things that Jesus told us to do. And so Paul says, pray all the time, all kinds of ways. Any kind of prayer you can get going, pray it. This is how we do this thing. He says, pray for me so I can keep on proclaiming and preaching because that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's how I stand my ground. Because what's going to happen is they're going to try to knock me off my game. They're trying to get me to shut up. They're going to put me in prison and put me in chains and try to silence me. And I'm not going to let it happen. And I, we don't have to let it happen because we have spiritual armor. Pray for me. He says he's undergoing suffering and persecution. He, want, he wants to stand. He wants to keep on doing, do, doing what he's doing. And you, you understand this. We talk about stand. Understand, if you go to this part of the passage, you might by inference realize that we stand by kneeling. You see the interchange of the postures there. He says stand, but pray. Stand, but get on your knees and offer up some petitions to God. Get on your knees and ask for some help. Get on your knees and pray for the rest of the Christians. And Paul asked them to pray for him. You would say, well, you're the big apostle. Do you really need our prayers? Well, if Paul needs their prayers, then I need yours, and you need mine, and we need each other's prayers. Amen? See, you stand. Listen, you stand by, by staying in church and staying committed to the community of faith God's placed you in. You stand by loving other people around you, right? You stand by resting in the finished work of Christ. You stand by sitting, paradoxical as it may seem. You stand by being obedient to Christ in every way that you can as, as, as you come to understand his will for your life. You stand by faithfully loving and leading other people that are committed to your influence. You stand by staying uh, in the word of God and letting the word stay in you. Uh, amen. You, you stand by letting the peace of Christ rule and reign in your hearts and not allowing yourself to be overcome by worry and fear. You stand by refusing to be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, take, making your request, request known, request, quest, please, request, <laughs> making your request known to God. You stand by gratefully receiving all that God has done for you in Christ and lovingly responding to those gifts through service to others. And guess what? While you're standing like that, you don't have to be mad because it's not a fight you're fighting in your own strength. It's not about your anger. And, and in some place the word says man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Your anger is not a part. You don't have to be mad. With, you ever seen Christians and you know, I'm just fighting the devil. I'm under attack. Arr. Are you a pirate? Arr. You don't have to be mad. Why be angry? Why be angry? We can fight while we're smiling because we realize that we're fighting from a place, place of strength. We realize that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And so, man, I'm overjoyed. I can withstand this stuff. It's, it's painful sometimes, but somewhere along the line, I'm going to rejoice and have some joy in this thing because, because God is good. And I know that the, the battle has already been won. The victory has already been accomplished. It's a done deal. Again, Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So stand, stand. About done with this this afternoon. But listen, I realize you might feel embattled in your life. 
I want you to realize that Christ has already won the victory, and that victory has become yours. Stand. It, it may seem the enemy has targeted you, but don't you give up. Don't you give in. Stand. In the words of Donnie McClurkin, he said, what do you do, and you know this feeling, when you've done all you can, and it seems like it's never enough. And I like what he says. He says, child, you just stand. Turn to your neighbor and say, child, you just stand. Uh, and I look around this church, and I, I, and I reflect on you all, and I look at what's going on in your lives, and I see your faithfulness. I just want to thank you for your love, your loyalty, your faith, your faithfulness, and I exhort you today to stand. I, I want to encourage your church to keep on worshiping, to keep on reading the word, to keep on praying, to keep on coming along somebody else to strengthen them in their walk. I see how you're helping each other and how, and how when we, we, we end Bible study on Wednesday night early now, but we still don't, we leave at the same time. And that's a good transfer of time because there, there are vital life connections taking place because we need each other's help so that we can do what? Stand. Worship team and you know, those who are in here, keep on praising band keep on laying down the groove because every song, every note, every chord, every lyric, every praise is to our God and every everything we do is beating back the onslaught of the enemy. That's spiritual warfare and I just encourage you to stand. Elders, keep on loving the flock. Keep on leading. Keep on serving. Stand. Outreach team, keep on serving. Keep on being creative. Keep on giving. Keep on working hard. Stand. If you clean the church, Thank you for your service. Stand. Hospitality team, keep on serving. Keep on feeding us. Please, keep on feeding us. Keep on creating a warm and welcoming environment for us and all who come to us. And stand. You see, just, you just keep doing the good you know to do. You keep doing what God has given you to do. And when you, God has made you a blessing, then you stay a blessing. Just keep on. Don't allow the, the enemy to knock you off of your, of your path. Ushers, keep on smiling and greeting and collecting that offering. Amen. Stand. So those of you that... Those of you that count the offering, count it all joy and, 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 and keep on standing. And whatever you do, keep on keeping on. Stand fast. Be faithful. Be focused. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Stand. Stand. Sometimes you make up your mind to just get to the place. You know what? I, told, I, 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 just, I told the Lord and I told the, the, the principalities and powers, I, said, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not changing. I'm not quitting. I'm just going to stand. Whatever God has given me to do, I'm going to do it until he tells me to do otherwise. Yes, the enemy wants to take back territory in your life, but you don't let him. Stand, because the victory is already ours in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, today as we...